First of all, we have, as we've mentioned, denial being turned to blood. And this was a judgment on Egypt for how the Nile had previously run red with the blood of Israelite baby boys. Tony again pointed out that in this, uh, this group of three, the land was defiled, and he, he highlighted how that in two of them it says, it talks about the stench or the stink of the land. Now, later when God's people came to worship the Lord, God said that when they offered him something, uh, made a sacrifice, that that was a sweet-smelling savor. So when people give themselves to the Lord and uh, may give an offering to the Lord, in the Lord's eyes, that is a sweet-smelling savor. But when people lose the value of life, when they choose uh, a materialistic lifestyle over the sanctity of human life, that in God's uh, nostrils is a real stench. So it's a contrast then between the, those who worship the gods of materialism and convenience as opposed to those who worship the true God. Then Tony reminded us of the, the plagues four, five, and six, where the, these brought ruin. Now, to distinguish them from the, the next three, I'm going to just highlight that this was personal ruin. So, the plague of boils was an individual thing. Even the pharaoh's magicians or scientists uh, could not stand before Moses uh, because of that. And then the last three plagues, as we'll be seeing, brings uh, total ruin upon the whole nation. And it, it brings the economy of Egypt to destruction. And it ends, interestingly, with the plague of darkness. So, as well as looking at each of these final three plagues of the nine, we're going to ask three main questions. What is the logic behind these last three plagues? I mean, what is God trying to achieve? Secondly, as, as we look at these three groups, what is happening in each group of three? How are they different? And how does Pharaoh respond? And then lastly, we're going to take time to look at the question of the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. We'll come across that phrase more than once. It's sometimes misunderstood, so I'll take time at the end uh, just to look at that question. <clears throat> so, first of all then, let's read from Exodus chapter 9, uh, the first of this final group of three plagues, sometimes known as the plague of hail. And in verse 13 we read, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Notice that phrase. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with, patient, with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Down to verse 22. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven, notice those words, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Down to verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. And down to verse 34. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So in this plague of hail, lightning, and thunder, there are several new factors introduced in the text. And this plague shows the Lord moving in his strategy to a new level. First of all, the plague brought uh, economic destruction, not so much on individuals, but on a much greater national scale than the previous six plagues. Previously, there had been inconvenience and discomfort and personal consequences, but now it's national and not personal. The economic consequences came on the agriculture sector where it says that the hail struck down every plant and every tree. Egypt, its uh, agriculture was famous for feeding the nations round about during the Roman Empire time. Egypt fed the Roman Empire. And uh, you remember at the time of Joseph that Egypt became famous for saving the rest of the world from famine. But now Egypt's agricultural sector was devastated. And the nations round about would have been one of the first to notice. They couldn't import wheat from uh, Egypt anymore. And Egypt's exports and imports and wealth were devastated by this. Secondly, I think you'll have noticed that this judgment is explicitly said to come from heaven. Moses raised his staff to heaven. So this wasn't simply a natural disaster. It wasn't simply a consequence of their lifestyle. It highlights the fact that there is a God in heaven who at certain times intervenes in this world's affairs in judgment. And Moses raising his staff to heaven, it highlights that the conflict was now becoming one between the one true God in heaven and the false gods that society lives for. And yet, even in judging a society that uh, was challenging the one true God, there was uh, the opportunity for mercy. Moses said to everyone, bring your uh, animals in before the hail strikes, before the judgment falls. And many of them did that and uh, escaped the judgment. So even in judging, uh, there was the opportunity of escape. There's another point that you'll have noticed that I highlighted as we read, and that's that the Lord says that, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So this plague was to send a message not so much to Egypt, 
but to all the other nations surrounding it. Twice uh, we read that phrase, in all the earth. Now, why did God want to send a message to nations beyond Egypt? Well, we read later in the book of Joshua that when the Israelites left Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, the reputation of God had already reached that land. At Jericho, Rahab said, we have heard what the Lord did to Egypt. And through these last plagues, God was preparing the ground for Israel's entry to Canaan. And he is sending a message to those nations to receive Israel uh, into the land, as Rahab did. Egypt uh, was the overlord of the various nation groups in Canaan. It wielded extreme power. It subjugated and oppressed those people. It taxed them exorbitantly. And when people of that land heard that there was a God who had destroyed the economic and political power of Egypt, that was good news for many of them. And when God judges this world's ideologies that hold people and oppress people, that is good news for people who are oppressed. If they would, but welcome it. And finally, there's something different that we read in this plague, where at the end of it, Pharaoh sent for Moses and says, I have sinned. I and my people are in the wrong. How dramatic it is to hear him use that unpopular word, sin. It was a rare moment of insight and honesty. Pharaoh doesn't say that, well, I made an economic miscalculation or I was unwise. He realizes that there is an absolute standard of moral right and wrong. Our world resists very much the concept of sin. If you were to preach in the open air and you mentioned the word sin, people, many people would object. And our world denies that there is any absolute moral standards. And when Moses raised his staff to heaven to call down this judgment, he was saying that moral standards are not simply the result of social evolution and what's convenient for society. He was saying moral standards come from outside this world, from the God in heaven uh, to which he pointed. And our world doesn't uh, tolerate the claim that there are absolute moral standards from God's, and they have to learn. I mean, you're probably familiar with the case where recently a child in school said that she identified as a cat, and her friend said she was not a cat. And it was her friend who was disciplined for simply uh, taking that particular view. Our world is going to have to learn what Pharaoh learned. I and my people are in the wrong. We have sinned. And we need to look to heaven, as Moses did, to ask God to save our society from its rebellion against the truth and its rebellion against uh, what we have learned many times through history, that there are absolute moral standards that should be obeyed. So that was the first of those uh, last three plagues. 
Let's read the next one. This is the plague of locusts, and we'll read from uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 10 to 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. And down to verse 16. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. Plagues of locusts have struck several parts of our world in recent years. Locusts bring poverty and famine. They are a weapon of mass destruction. And in this eighth plague, we see the destruction of the remainder of Egypt's agricultural sector. We see again that Pharaoh admits his sin, but he goes further in his admission. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you, he said. And he acknowledges that sin is not just breaking an absolute moral standard. It is personal rebellion against God, against the God of the Bible and against the God of heaven. Now, when we read these words of Pharaoh, we might be tempted to think that Pharaoh was getting closer to genuine repentance. But you just need to look at Pharaoh's history of going back on promises that he had made. He repeatedly shuts his mind to any insights of of the truth that he arrives at. I don't know whether maybe some of you here this morning, when you've gone through a time of trouble, you say, well, if God rescues me from this, I will trust him. And then when the trouble passes, you change your mind. That's a serious thing to do. That's what Pharaoh had been doing repeatedly. And so we come to the ninth plague. And let's just read this plague. This is the plague of darkness. And read from 10, chapter 10, verse 21. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. And down to verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Now Pharaoh had just admitted twice that he had sinned against God. And he later turned his back on that truth. What happens when someone sees the truth repeatedly, but they deliberately turn their backs on the truth? 
The answer is they live in darkness, complete darkness, utter darkness. And we see again that this darkness came from heaven, where we read, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven. When someone has seen the truth, the full truth, and turns away from it, there's nothing more that God can show them, nothing more that he can tell them and they live in self-inflicted darkness. Why did this darkness strike such terror into Pharaoh and into the Egyptians? I mean, total darkness is inconvenient, but why did it cause such terror among the Egyptians that this was the last of these nine plagues? Last week, I was in a house, and upstairs there was a a Christian youth group meeting, and we had a power cut. I couldn't see a thing, but I heard plenty. The first thing I heard was screams, wild screams from the youth group above. Now, why were they scared? They were in the house of a Christian amongst other Christians. Did they think that somehow it had been infiltrated with a murderer who was about to slit their throats? It was just their imagination. It's strange the effect that total darkness has on some people. It was irrational, and they were frightened by things in their imagination, which surfaced in the absence of light and surfaced in total darkness. It's interesting that total darkness is not neutral. It's not that you simply don't know where you are, But when people are in darkness, their imagination starts to take over. And human imagination is not neutral, particularly if you do not know the true God. I was uh, visiting an archaeological site in in Peru once, which was a temple uh, from many hundreds of years ago. It had seven levels. And there was a careful record of their religious practices. Many cultures, when they don't know anything about God, they make up their concept of God, and it comes from their imagination. And often, people's imagination about false gods, they create gods which frighten them. Uh, And at this temple that I saw, it was clear that that what they did was whenever El Nino struck, and it really hit them economically. The fish uh, moved away from the coast, the crops failed, and they assumed that the gods that they had imagined were angry. So they had a sophisticated system of human sacrifice. The healthy young men were set apart, they were well fed, well looked after. But when El Nino struck and they wanted to placate the gods, their minds somehow led them to believe that the gods wanted blood. They wanted human sacrifice. And so these fattened young men, like the fatted calves, they were sacrificed to the gods. It really struck me how people's imagination turns uh, turns terror on themselves. Now, Egypt had a whole system of false gods. They worshiped things that would frighten us if we met them in the dark, like frogs and beetles. 
And when darkness, total darkness, came over the whole land, the, Egypt, the Egyptians became dominated by fears which had lurked deep in their national psyche. And those fears sent them into terror and became their self-inflicted judgment. Those terrors uh, are a consequence of people rejecting the truth. They had rejected the insight into the truth about God that they had received. They had hardened their hearts against it, and so they were living in darkness. And their judgment was to become the victim of their own twisted, dark imagination. It's no accident that when the Lord Jesus sometimes described hell, he spoke of it as utter, outer darkness. And when people deliberately reject the truth about God permanently, when they die, they become victims of their own dark imagination, which terrifies them and continuously fills their heart with fear. So you can see the importance of accepting the truth when you hear it. It's not just enough to hear the truth, but as Scripture says, do not harden your hearts against it. Unfortunately, that is what Pharaoh did. So let's just <clears throat> look uh, to be true to our title at how Pharaoh ignored three types of evidence and resisted it. In the first three, <clears throat> we see Pharaoh's magicians or his, play, his uh, scientists, the equivalent of scientists. At first, they were able to copy what God did and said, you don't need to believe in God. Science explains everything. But the third plague was something that was beyond their capability. And they said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Did Pharaoh listen to them? Well, no, he had accepted their advice and their scientific uh, worldview before. And even when they said, sorry, we cannot explain this, Pharaoh rejected that. In our world today, um, Science, uh, people believe that science explains everything. But the more science investigates the inner workings of the cell, even atheistic scientists are realizing this has a hallmark of design. But does the world listen? No, they've been so brainwashed by uh, previous generations of scientists that they don't listen to uh, the implications of new scientific discoveries. The second group uh, deals with the evidence of personal consequences. When people reject God and keep God out of their lives, they discover the awful consequences personally. So if you think of the ideologies uh, in our world and ask, have they really helped the world and made it a better place? Because in these plagues, Tony pointed out that God made a distinction between Egypt and the land of Goshen where the God-fearing people of Israel lived and they fared much better. So let me just ask a simple question. The belief in evolution. If you don't believe in evolution, do you feel impoverished? Do you feel isolated? Well, think of the effect of evolution on our, society, on our world even in the last 100 years. Uh, getting on 200 years now. Darwin himself was an extreme racist. 
the original title of his book, Evolution of the Species, had the subtitle which talked about favored races. He believed that certain groups in humanity were uh, sort of leftovers from previous evolution and uh, could be uh, and would die out. And Darwin's theory inspired Hitler and Nazism. So did that theory benefit humanity? Far from raising humanity up, it dragged humanity down to commit crimes that uh, this world is now ashamed of. And what about the ideology of gender and same-sex marriage? Is society's response to that helpful to society? Well, even if you believe in evolution and natural selection, if every sexual relationship was a same-sex relationship, the human race would die out in 100 years. We the propagation of the human race relies completely on heterosexual relationships, and yet society will not admit that natural selection favors heterosexual relationships. So in these examples, we can see that two of the, the main uh, ideologies of our world, two of the gods which this world worships, are in conflict with each other. And we, our world has suffered the consequences of rejecting the truth about God. And this is part of God's intervention in our world today. And finally, group three. Here, as we saw repeatedly, Pharaoh says, I have sinned. He accepts that there is a moral conscience, that there are moral, absolute moral standards. This is what Christian philosophers have called the moral argument. And it is a compelling evidence that there, there is a God and an external source of right and wrong. But Pharaoh rejected all three types of evidence. Each of these pieces of evidence and types of evidence is visible in our world today. And many of you, I know, have used this argument in talking with people who so far do not accept that there is a God. And that brings us to the last and rather difficult uh, issue about which is mentioned in every plague which talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Now, we talk about someone who is hard-hearted and is someone who is implacable, that can't change their mind. So let me just uh, highlight what the text actually says about this first. On three occasions, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. He saw the evidence and he rejected it. He rejected the facts in the second plague, the fourth plague, and the seventh plague. In three other plagues, it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It doesn't explicitly say that Pharaoh uh, hardened his heart, but he certainly refused to soften his heart. And that is in the first plague, the third plague, and the fifth plague. And it's only after the sixth plague that we read that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And indeed, three times the plague of boils, the plague of locusts, and the plague of darkness. After those three plagues, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, this phrase, uh, this statement has been misunderstood, and it has led to a certain teaching that somehow God in his sovereignty 
chooses arbitrarily to harden some people's hearts so that they can't believe and can't be saved. They misunderstand the verse in Romans chapter 9, verse 18, that says, Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And Calvinist teaching says that God has already decided arbitrarily who he will harden so that they can't be saved. And they use Pharaoh as an example. But Romans says that God hardens whoever he wants to harden. But that's not arbitrary. God has, in this case, has hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's the sort of person that God chooses to harden, someone who has already multiple times hardened their own heart and rejected the evidence. So when God chooses who he's going to harden, there's only this one example in the Old Testament, uh, he chooses someone uh, according to his own fairness, his own sense of justice, and in keeping with his character. Now, the word hardened, when it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, it actually means strengthened. Now, why would God strengthen Pharaoh's heart in his rebellion against God? Well, because God had a, wanted to use Pharaoh, as we've seen, to send a message to other nations. God, at this stage, did not want Pharaoh to give in after the sixth plague. He did not want Pharaoh to say, I have been defeated by a greater power. He wanted Pharaoh to continue to shake his fist at God so that Pharaoh would bring about the destruction of his own economy and the destruction of the hold that his nation had on other nations. So God forced Pharaoh to stand up to be strong in his rebellion. He didn't change Pharaoh's mind. Pharaoh had already made up his mind multiple times. He had seen all the evidence and still rejected that. And the key issue in all, every challenge to Pharaoh was this, let my people go that they may worship me. Moses was not asking Pharaoh or the Egyptians to worship the Lord. He was asking the nation to let Israel, those who believed in God, to worship him. Once a nation thinks it has the right to stop people worshiping God, they are in danger. There are certain totalitarian states, such as North Korea, that feel they have the right to stop people worshiping God, to the extent even of killing them. Why is it such a threat to uh, governments like that, that if people worship God? Because the official worldview is one of control, of ultimate power, total control over people. Also, belief in God, they're afraid, will be a distraction from work. And it's uh, the, the God delusion, they say, will stop people being good scientists and stop people uh, working hard. So that is why God, the Lord, hardened Pharaoh's heart. It wasn't so that he wouldn't believe. Now, God will do anything. He's given his life so that people can believe. But there are certain people and even certain nations who have rejected the truth 
so forcibly, so continually have put themselves beyond the point of no return that God says, right, I'll give you the strength to continue your rebellion so that people will see the consequences of your rebellion. And after they've done that, even then, there is the opportunity for them to repent and to believe, as some Egyptians did. So God does not harden people's hearts so that they do not believe. Quite the opposite. But God wanted to reveal the consequences of their unbelief as a warning to other people. So as we have seen these plagues, I hope we have seen the, uh, the intelligence of God behind this in, and God's plan to reach the other nations through, if you like, exploiting the rebellious, the implacable rebellion and anti-God ideology that Pharaoh represents. It has a lot to say to our world today, and as Christians, it should affect our prayers as we pray for various nations around the world. So let's bring our time to a close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the accuracy and the detail with which these world events have been recorded to show us the real conflicts that lie behind so much of what happens in our world today. Father, we do pray for our world. We were thinking earlier of how God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We know that your plan for the gospel has always been to bring blessing to the nations. And so we pray that those nations that are currently entrapped in false ideologies would recognize the truth that even like Pharaoh, they would realize that they have sinned, but go further than that, that they would come to repentance and to faith. Help us to live as lights in a dark place to, so that others might be brought to repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.